Welcome to the Council Podcast. I'm your host, Mel Scott, Senior Legal Counsel at a global technology company based in Brisbane, Australia. I'm passionate about all things in-house and I'm so excited to share insights, interview key people in our profession and demystify in-house practice. This episode of Council is brought to you by Markster. Markster provides dynamic trademark services to modern in-house legal teams. In-house legal teams have little to no oversight of their own trademark portfolios, making them reliant on external counsel to access critical information. Markster gives you access to up-to-date and accurate information about your global trademark portfolio anywhere and anytime. Find out more at markster.com.au or reach out to Kate and the Markster team. Their contact details are in the show notes. I would also like to thank InCouncil for supporting this episode. InCouncil provides people and tech solutions for in-house legal teams. They provide you access to a high caliber panel of sole practitioners, which includes a lot of former in-house lawyers who can help you with ad hoc matters or ongoing support. They also specialize in helping GCs select, set up and integrate the best tools and technologies. Go to incouncil.com.au to find out more. If you aren't already subscribed to InCouncil Weekly, you are missing out. I always look forward to it landing in my inbox. It is a weekly email with bite-sized insights for in-house counsel and creative legal minds. You can find the link to sign up in the show notes. My guest today is Mark Yudkin, General Counsel and Chief Operating Officer of the Vayner X group of companies, including Vayner Media. Now, when I tell you that I fangirled, I mean, I fangirled, trust me. And Mark was so generous with his time and sharing his wisdom. But also, he was just really humble. I don't think he could kind of grasp why this random Australian lawyer would like to interview him for her podcast. I could not have been more grateful. For those of you that aren't familiar with Vayner Media, it is one of the world's leading social media marketing agencies. And of course, it is the brainchild of the one and only Gary Vaynerchuk or Gary V as he is known. Oh my God. I have been obsessed with Gary's content for almost six years now. And when I think about some of the coolest jobs that you could do as an in-house lawyer, look, Mark's is up there. So without any further ado, let's jump into it and hear from Gary V's OG in-house lawyer, Mark Yudkin. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. And I will note that you are our first guest uh, from the East Coast of the U.S. So welcome from New York. Uh, thank you. It's, uh, it's always good to be the first at something, I guess. So happy to, ha- happy to fill that void. It's, it's an honor to have you. And you've, you've been on my dream guest list for some time. You've got an incredible experience. And you probably don't maybe even realize how much uh, you've got to share with the listeners. But we're going we're gonna to draw it out of you today. And, and I'm yeah, thrilled to have you. I'm going to jump straight into my first question that I ask all of my guests. Mark, if you had a limitless credit card and you could only spend it at one shop, what shop would that be and why? You know, I think that's like a very timely question right now. 
Uh, didn't Coinbase just come out and say that they're accepting credit cards now? So yes. I can, can I use this limitless credit card to buy all the NFTs and crypto <laughs> that is uh, being sold on uh, Coinbase? I mean, normally I would take a materialistic answer like new watches or, or new golf clubs, but uh, I, I think I'll, I'll take the investment approach and, and use my unlimited credit card at Coinbase. Love that. And crypto is on sale right now. So it's a good time to, to get in and to buy. Certainly buy the dip. Buy the dip. Absolutely. Okay. So I love that. I think that's my favorite answer. And I, I have to take it one step further and, and just just check exactly what NFT you would buy. Ooh, well, that, you're setting me up there. So um, I, I think contractually, I have to say uh, be friends. Yes, I think, uh, yes, you do. <laughs> I think, but but if if it wasn't V friends, and and it probably, I'm not lying when I say it probably would be one or two that I would definitely uh, buy. I you know I do believe, as I actually mentioned before, being the first at something has a significant value, and so I think CryptoPunks being the um, acknowledged as kind of being the first NFT project out there years ago from Larva Labs. I think uh, I would say CryptoPunks. That would be CryptoPunks and VFriends for sure. Those would be my top two. That's amazing. And, you know, you would do very well uh, with those two investments. Yeah, not bad. We are very aligned, my friend, but I'm, I'm going to take us to, to the legal side of things and, and we're going to deep dive into, into you and your, and your legal career. I, um, I want to take you back, though, and, and kind of put you back into where you were, what you were doing when you were at law school. And, and if you could give us a little sense of, of why you wanted to, to go to law school. Uh, sure. I guess I'm unique in that I definitely was not one of these kids that had a lifelong dream to be a lawyer. Uh, my parents aren't lawyers. I think if you ask my parents what I wanted to be when I was a child, I said always said architect, probably until I was like 14 or 15. But uh, you know, I went to college, and at college, I kind of got involved with my own business of selling T-shirts and other novelty items to, you know, sororities, fraternities. Um, you know, I the my my friend actually wound up being the president of the college, and so when local concerts came to school like Dave Matthews Band, I think LL Cool J, uh, a few other old school. I'm totally aging myself. No, right this now. is very cool. But, um, very cool. Yeah, no, I, I would I would create I would design the t shirts or I would have somebody design it for me, but I would sell T shirts for the concerts and stuff. And so it was kind of an entrepreneurial start of my life. You had a side hustle from the get. I love that. I had a I had a side hustle while I was uh, studying, quote unquote studying. So that kind of got me going there. And then so when it was time to kind of graduate college, I or before that, I, I really thought about getting into corporate law. I never wanted to be a litigator. I never wanted to be a criminal defense attorney. It was always like I had the business side of me that kind of wanted to to do something on that end. And so I figured, why not go to law school instead of getting an MBA right out of college? Why not go to law school? So I went to law school um, and I went down to Emory University in Atlanta, Georgia and loved my time there. And one of, you know, fast forwarding a couple of years, you know, past my law school years, cause I tried to forget those. Uh, one of my first jobs was working at, let's call it, a, you know, I did big law, but then I went to like a midsize uh, law firm that kind of had a whole boutique corporate law practice that represented other entrepreneurs in the area. And if you, if you think back to Atlanta, I don't know how much you guys know, but in Atlanta in the early, 
in the early 2000s was a lot of like the hip hop scene was developed down there. You had, you know, Usher, Outkast and a lot of people like that. And somehow as a junior, junior associate, I wound up working on, on those corporate law projects. And that kind of got my corporate law entrepreneurial juices flowing where I said then I was already practicing for, let's say, two years. But I was like, this is what I want to do. I know I want to represent entrepreneurs to help them execute their dreams. Uh, have None of them, they all have great visions. They're all brilliant, but they don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. They just have this idea. And it's it's really kind of, you know, it was my job back then. And it's my job now to kind of execute on those dreams and visions and, and, and monetize them. So that's kind of what, I, I wouldn't say as a five-year-old child, you know, in the crib that I was dreaming of being a corporate lawyer, but I will say at some point it did click that this is like what I want to do. This makes so sense. I love that. And and you can see the through line of, of you being interested in creating new things and, and seeing, seeing opportunities. And then now, you know, helping helping others that have a vision, as you say, to, to execute on that vision as well. Uh, and, and you mentioned it in there that you you had a a stint after law school in like the big law space and I just want to take you back if it's not too triggering (laughs) because I know it can be I I blocked it all out I blocked it all out you know a a lot of junior lawyers do that you know it's very common in Australia as well to to kind of see the bright lights and and to and really want to head for that that big law space I want to ask how you allowed yourself to think outside the box or, or whether it wasn't even that difficult for you to to want to try something other than the mold no and and i i kid right like those are all jokes i i do think everybody's experiences are different and everybody can benefit from different experiences and it it wasn't a bad it wasn't a bad thing at all and in fact you know i i value law firm experience when i'm looking to hire people it's not the end all be all if you don't have it, but I definitely value it. I definitely think there's a level of sophistication at some of these law firms that you can't get in other places. You know, I, I think it all depends. I mean, for me, just talking about first, I, I, listen, I'm, I see law firm experience every day of my life uh, firsthand. Mm. But for me, my law, my, my personality is such that I'm made for either kind of running my own practice or kind of being in-house where I am now where you can kind of think outside the box a little bit. You can take a little bit more risks uh, than you sometimes can in big law. I mean, there is something to the, uh, of getting some experience and doing some grunt work, you know, whether it's a document review or whether it's summarizing contracts in connection with a due diligence, like that's fine. That happens and, and I'm fine with that. Uh, everybody's different. And I, listen, I try to surround myself with people that might be better at that because I'm not. It's a skill set to be as diligent as it is for that that type of work. So I, I kid in jest, but like it, it definitely has its purpose for for many people. For me, part of the thing was I wasn't allowed to develop my own client base. Mm. Like they just weren't big enough, right? I was a kid just out of law school, and if I had a friend that was starting up his own you know restaurant group, you know, a, a certain law firms don't want to take on that risk, and and they don't want a 24 year old kid who just came out of law school developing their own practice. And I probably wouldn't have advanced in that place because I needed somebody that would support me, which I found later on in my life. So that that's really the only negative to my experience. There. I get it for sure. Yeah. I mean, no experience is ever wasted, and and you always you always learn you know something from from those experiences that typically can be pretty intense, stressful, like the big hours, that kind of thing. As somebody who's been outside of the law firm now for 11 years, right, there is a level of sophistication that 
law firm work provides that, you know, in-house is sophisticated to some degree, but there there is a level there that sometimes you need expertise. And that's why in-house 100%. counsel retains outside counsel 100%. for that reason. Yeah. I've been out of the game for 11 years. I don't know what the, I mean, I know my world through and through, but if it's outside that, then I need somebody to lend me that current advice. And I use it all the time. Okay. So you kind of in the trenches and, and developing practice and, and bringing bringing some visions to life. How do you find your your way in-house? And what was that first jump for you from private practice in-house? So I left Atlanta and I moved back up. I'm from uh, New York originally. And I uh, moved back up to New York and New Jersey a couple years later. And I was working at another law firm in New Jersey. This law firm was a little bit more supportive of developing your mid middle market practice, right? I was a little older, so some of the clients were a little more sophisticated. And eventually, I started working on a matter for Mr. Gary Vaynerchuk. Um, I think my first ever matter for him was like his angel investment in Twitter and Uber. Wow. So, which was which was my bread and butter. Back in the day, I was kind of a mergers and acquisitions, private equity attorney, specializing in tech investments, things like that, you know, Silicon Valley days. So I met Gary and I had a, probably about six or seven other clients kind of going on at the same time. But I worked on, you know, Gary's matters for a couple of years. And then I remember he introduced me to his brother, AJ. And they tell me they have this great idea for this social media advertising company that they wanted to call VaynerMedia. You know, I was kind of helping them out from the outside for a while, helping if they had big, you know, they were definitely very frugal at first with the uh, the outside counsel fees. But if they had a big contract they needed help with or just general advice, uh, I would pick their brain. And obviously, you know, I'm four or five years into my relationship with Gary now. And eventually, Gary and I and AJ and I, we had a talk and we were like, well, I think this Vayner Media thing might actually start picking up some steam here. Like we might become a real viable business soon. I said, oh, really? I go, you think you can afford me? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, little did he know, like I kind of, was always thinking about the entrepreneurial side of it again and, and thinking about taking a chance. Long story short, very long story short, I took an enormous pay cut <laughs> and uh, took a chance on a 30 person company called Vayner Media. And kind of, I think I, I think if you ask Gary, I was kind of brought in to kind of help with back office type matters. In no way am I a client person. Am I, I'm not selling advertising. But uh, AJ and I were kind of going to help out the back office stuff. And Gary also hired a woman at the time to kind of help him with the front of house client facing work and doing all that stuff. So uh, I, I took a leap. I took, uh, I took a, a chance and I left my conservative, my stable law firm job and uh, left to take a, a chance on Gary and this in-house opportunity. Wow. Which is funny because I, I said this in one of my posts recently that I actually really generally liked uh, my department and my old law firm, like the guys that, you know, my, my, my bosses more or less and my colleagues, I really, really respect them. I really still keep in touch with them. I still like them. Um, and it's funny. And eventually they kind of split up and formed their own firm themselves. So it's funny that I took a chance leaving my stable law firm. And then like two years later, my department left anyway. What made you in that moment, leave the comfort of a, a you know, safe and, and established legal practice and actually believe in that vision? Like what, what was that moment for you? Wait to hear this, great question. All right, so keep in mind, so now I'm at the pinnacle of kind of my law firm career. Like I'm advancing all that stuff. 
I have a, I guess he's two-year-old son, about to be two-year-old son, and I have another one on the way. So now it's like the worst time in the world to kind of take a leap of faith, oh. right? So I have a conversation with uh, Gary, and I'm just like, bro, like, here's my story. Like, wh- like I'm kind of nervous, right? Like, for all the reasons that are obvious. And, uh, and Gary looks at me and he goes, what are you nervous about? He's like, take a chance. He's like, as long as you don't, excuse the language, fuck me. And as long as you don't steal from me, and as long as you don't like commit fraud, you know, in Gary's words, right, not his, then worst case, it doesn't work out. Go back to your law firm and you still have a client. And I was just like, that is like the most honest, like comforting <laughs> answer I could get. And I wasn't leaving the firm. It wasn't like I was like going to a competitor. Like everybody was like, hey, here's a guy. I mean, this is 11 years ago. Here's a guy that's around my age that I'm going to take a shot on. As people like to say, sometimes you bet on the jockey. I definitely was betting on the jockey and AJ. That's a true, uh, you know, his brother AJ is a a key part of this for sure. Um, And so I I love both of them like a brother and they're both just really, really, really good people. And that answer to me was like, yeah, exactly. Why not take the chance? Like, there's no reason not to. And to this day, that still resonates with me. Like, honestly, every day that's like, yeah, all right. He's he's a good person. And he really is. True, true. So life is short. (laughs) Take the risk. (laughs) But, you know, we don't love to hear it sometimes. There's Um, no reason not to take a calculated risk where the downside is like, just go back to the way it was. Right. Like, don't burn bridges. Like, if that's some advice to young lawyers out there, like, do not burn bridges. Like, there's no point. Life is too short, as you said. And we all respect, as bosses, we all respect kind of career movement. And we all kind of respect that everybody has to look out for themselves at some point. But do it with respect. And that's all you, that's all you can ask for. That's such good advice. I know that that will really resonate uh, with a lot of people. And we fast forward like 11 years and it's phenomenal what has been achieved in that time. Uh, I suspect that you don't have any regrets about, about taking that risk at all. No, no regrets. I mean, there are definitely days I want to throw my computer out the window and I miss the uh, level of sophistication that I was describing previously. But um, I, uh, I truly am, am blessed and it's been, it's been a wild, crazy ride. Yeah. What, what are some of those incredible moments or professional milestones that come to mind? Yeah, I mean, there's, there, there's too many. Everything, you know, we can, we can look at that two ways. I can look at like, what are the really nice achievements or milestones in the company's career, my growth. I can look at like where we've been as a company to like where we are now. I mean, the, the funniest story, we, we, every, all OGs, people at Vayner that have been there for a while, we all like to refer to time periods of like where the office was, right? Like originally we were on 373 Park Avenue, right? And then we were on 315 Park Avenue. So we're always like, like the fondest memories I kind of have, real funny, we were at 315 Park Avenue and we just grew, we were growing so fast. I think we went from like 150 to like 500 employees all in New York in like eight months it was just like rapid growth but we didn't have places to put anybody so you would you you would literally come back from lunch and there would be a meeting taking place in like the elevator bank of like 40 people and i'd be carrying my salad like stepping over people to try to get to my desk <laughs> or like one time we we went to like hotel seating so there wasn't like assigned seats we did that for like a week because 
that was the only time you could get employees in there seven thirty because they would all run to try to get like a desk for themselves because we were so you know we 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 all had fun. It was like the times you think back and you're like everybody's just having fun. Everybody'd be working until nine o'clock, working on stuff, but it didn't seem that way because we were all kind of hanging out. Mm. You know, to now like listen, we're representing Fortune one hundred brands. We're our headquarters are now in Hudson Yards, a very you know new building that has a different vibe to it. But trust me, I, I definitely like the security of knowing I'm getting a paycheck every two weeks. Um, that, 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 that's real comforting. I, I, so, you know, I think it's funny to look back on some of those times, especially the people that you were with. You know, some of my, my first lawyer that I ever hired out of school is still with me. You know, eight years later, she, she's still with me. That's awesome. And so with the amount of, you know, we have like a saved email file that I randomly will just like say to each other, like, remember we worked on this project together? And it's like so dumb and you're just laughing about it. And, and so those are good times. But <laughs> I, I would say as far as like milestones for the company, I think, you know, listen, expansion is always good, right? Opening up the LA office, opening up the London yes. office. We opened up Singapore two, three years ago and 160 employees later, like we're all over APAC. Uh, where, you know, we have a small contingent in, in Australia now. So, you know, I, I think those are milestones. I think the acquisition of uh, PureWow mm -hmm. three, four years ago, I forget when it was, and starting our whole publishing arm, Gallery Media Group, uh, was a big thing. We never used to be a media company, right? We started a whole media division, and now we have, it's our largest revenue generating group right now. So I think to look where we were, you know, years ago, to where we are now, it, it's hard to pick one, but it's just grown so rapidly. And now with this like capability, we have 100 capabilities. We have 1,600 employees worldwide now. Mm, wow. Um, and, and think about it. I told you 10 years ago, I think I was employee 33 or something. So I don't even know. Offhand. If you at any point decided to be a handbrake on things, you know, you could have been, there would have been untold uh, number of moments where you being, I, I just can assume pragmatic and, and very much, you know, being commercially minded, getting out of the way of, of kind of traditional legal thinking ha would have no doubt helped in the expansion and the rapid growth. If I was one of those lawyers that was like, you know, pursuant to code section 42-16B, <laughs> uh, we can't do, no, you can't, you can't do that in this industry you can't do that as a in as any corporate lawyer in my opinion i think you have to be very practical i think you have to be you got to be partners to your clients which are the in-house team i think the i don't want to say you just say yes to everything right no, because then no. you take on too much risk you know i think the number one problem i'm facing today and my legal department is facing today is dealing with attorneys in this media advertising space tech space that are always trying to fit a square peg in a round hole or whatever that saying is and just doing a one-size-fits-all to everything right mm -hmm. and it just the, the intricacies of our space you know advertising on tiktok is different than advertising on google and if you take the same principles to both then you'll never succeed we're at the state of the art we're doing everything before most other agencies are we're researching it through and through both internal legal, you know, legal teams doing work. And sometimes I use outside counsel to give me some preemptive, you know, knowledge before I go in there. And I'm finding that my counterparts are not. And it's holding up stuff and it's making our jobs more difficult than it has to be. And I think the industry as a whole needs to not always be so closed minded because of where the 
the world is going from a practical nature and how the legal interpretation of that or the practical nature of the legal interpretation of that is it needs to catch up. Uh, that's probably been a constant theme for you in terms of working in a space that doesn't necessarily have regulation yet or the the regulation did not contemplate the technology <laughs> like like in terms of social media and then within that the the various nuances of different platforms it's wild to to work in that in that space how have you navigated giving legal advice when when the law maybe doesn't even contemplate what you're doing yeah uh, a lot of hours doing it um <laughs> Listen, it's everything from, I'll tell you a real funny story. So early on, a very large platform that's still around today, that may be publicly traded, what have you, came to Vayner and wanted Vayner to advertise in the platform and be kind of the first to bring brands to it kind of first, first mover. I said, okay. So we start talking and I quickly, this is years ago. So we look at the terms and conditions, you know, the stuff that nobody looks at. And I basically see that the terms and conditions say you can't use it for commercial purposes, you know, in no way whatsoever can a user use this for marketing or promotional purposes, what have you. And I understood why they did it. It's obviously relating to copyright law and IP and infringement and things like that. So I'm on the phone with their general counsel and I'm saying, hey, not a big deal. Like, you know, we, we just need to get permission from you to do this. Oh, no, we won't let you do that. But, but you have to say that we're going to use it for commercial purposes. I literally going to have a team of 20 advertising on your website. Your CEO just came to us and said, you want to do this, but you're not letting me for your own terms. Well, then tell me how it's wrong. It was like the most ridiculous conversation I think I've had, right? It was them asking us to advertise, but like by doing so, I would breach their terms. So I was just asking for permission, a waiver that they wouldn't come after us. It's simple stuff. I literally hand wrote in a PDF all the changes to their terms and conditions that I would do, like drew arrows all over the place. A week later, I have my follow-up call and he's like, do you have any issues now? I'm like, well, what do you mean? He's like, we changed our terms. And I looked, they literally incorporated all of my handwritten comments into their oh terms and conditions. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was like, well, can I get equity now? <laughs> like, how does this work? Exactly. Am I a advisor? How does this work? Yeah, I'll send you my invoice. <laughs> but like everybody's so quick to say no. And everybody's so quick to say, this is the way we've done it. This is the way we, and by the way, I, when I say everybody, it's, it's not really, it's a lot of old school. It's a little procurement, a little bit. It's a little bit of, a little bit of brands kind of being stuck in their way and also being scared. And that's, that's, that's what I really, I have extreme empathy for a lot of these people to take the Gary lingo where I, you know, these people are, are scared for their jobs, right? If they do something and they, you know, enter into a contract that their boss says, well, how did you agree to these terms? You know, they're scared of the ramifications of that. And, sure. you know, listen, the, the greatest thing at Vayner is we're not scared, right? We, we have the blessing we have the confidence of, you know, our CEO, myself as COO now, you know, our CFO who we work together, our C-suite understands what we're trying to do from a legal end. And we're always trying to represent our clients and do that. And because of not being scared, quite frankly, of our job or for getting yelled at by our bosses, we're able to, I think, be more creative in our thinking and negotiations. And uh, I just wish I, I have empathy for the others that are not like that, but I just wish they were. Could you imagine working with lawyers, you know, across the table or across the sending the red lines back and forth? You do see that that revert, revert, revert. 
revert. And then like, why? But no context. Why? <laughs> I, I had to negotiate a contract last year. Last year. We, it was 62 pages. And it was it pertained to the sale of widgets. And so I wrote this email. I'm like, we're a digital advertising company. Like, I don't think this applies. Well, this is what procurement thinks applies. And if you have any questions or you don't want the business, then move on. It's like, okay, this is what it is. You're, you're threatening us with removing business because like, I'm just having a normal conversation. And what do you know? Six months later, we got a new contract that applied to what we did. And it's, uh, it's becoming more and more, I don't know if it's the COVID world where people are just stuck behind a computer and they're just becoming less personable and, and thinking, or it's back to what I said, people are scared to do the wrong thing and therefore they're kind of a roadblock, but um, it's getting, I think the industry has to kind of move a little quicker, especially with what we're doing. So I could not agree more. Yes, I, <laughs> I'm with you on that. I want to take you to kind of where you're at now and talk about that shift from general counsel to chief operating officer. And, you know, I, I think that that's so fascinating and, and really quite uncommon to be seen as more than a lawyer and for the business to actually want you to, to continue in your career beyond general counsel. Tell us how that came about, how, how you would advise someone that wants to be seen as more than a lawyer in the business. Yeah, I mean, first off, you know, I, I still do technically oversee a lot of all of the legal matters as GC, but I have to say that I, I'm truly blessed by all of the lawyers that I work with every day at Vayner and the business affairs team and, and everybody I work with at Vayner that allows me to do that, right? There's only so many hours in a day. And, you know, whether it was recent hires three or four years ago or some new hires two years ago, I wouldn't have taken the new role, but for nothing but the most confident in my team right now. So all of the lawyers at Vayner allow me to kind of do this dual role a little bit. Yeah, but you, you created a space that, you know, like that that doesn't happen by accident from from a general counsel either. So like kudos to you for creating that space for them to all step up and... Yeah, yeah. but they're also extremely... Yeah, I, I appreciate the, the kind words, but I also recognize I've been lucky enough and I'm a good hirer. I will say that. I'm a very good hirer of talent, um, but they are absurdly talented. So I know that. But um I think it goes back to kind of what I said to you before, right? Like I've, the institutional knowledge that I have, I've been here for 10 years. I was kind of the first person brought in to kind of help AJ at the time to run back office. And just by nature of just being there and everybody's muscle memory, you know, there was a lot of operational things that I did, right? And I've learned from people, you know, that have worked in the industry for many more years than I have, both in finance, operations, other stuff to kind of get a handle of it. And I think operations I've learned, especially recently, has a very uh, vague, ambiguous uh, meaning, right? And everybody thinks everything's operational and everybody thinks they can do it. And I think it's truly different. And I think it's truly different at a company like ours where there are so many balls being thrown all the time, right? And how do you juggle all the balls and how do you execute the vision of a, a founder that's a visionary like Gary, right? And so I think just my knowledge of kind of where he wants to go and how he's rolling and where I think he wants to bring the company. And again, my job is to execute that vision, like I said before, right? Yeah, and there are legal nature, like it, it's amazing throughout all the years how much the company has 
kind of relied on the legal team to do operational things, you know, whether it's like, hey, uh, we need to do a custom content placement. How do we do that? Well, okay, that's not a legal concern. I can tell you what document to mm. use, but okay, I'll walk you through it. Or there's always a lot of that. Like, what's the concern here? And a lot of that just inherently stemmed into us becoming more of an operational department than just purely dot the I's, cross the T's. Now, some people like that, some people don't, right? Like, you'll find lawyers that like, I love being part of the business and I want to be more client facing. And then you'll find lawyers that are just like, I want to read an indemnification clause, right? Um, <laughs> they have they have pluses and minuses. I get it. Old types. We old need old types. <laughs> so, so I think just by having muscle memory and being here as long as I've been, it kind of just lent lend itself to that plus i do think not having experience in the in the field for 40 50 60 years is actually refreshing to some and we're doing things different anyway so i don't have a preconceived notion of like what it should be like i can we can take a more aggressive stance in some you know procedural items because like i don't know i didn't know they existed before you know um but i think it's just having pure insight into you know, even as a lawyer, like we get the deal done in a way that makes us work for our teams. And I think I just take that thinking over to operational. And like, listen, a lot of it's just putting out fires a lot of times and then just becoming smoother in certain things. And then it's also common sense, knowing people, casting in the right decisions, developing, you know, a, a division that didn't exist before because we were dropping the ball on all these new business opportunities because they were like, you know, 27 cooks, but, you know, no kitchen. Mm -hmm. They were just running around. <laughs> so everybody says there's too many cooks in the kitchen. We didn't even have a kitchen for a while. Um, so yeah, that's kind of where I think it was just a smooth transition because I wasn't doing all of it. I'm not, I'm not pretending that, but there was an operational component to the legal nature that I was doing that kind of lent itself to the, the dual role. You're a great example of, yeah, stepping into different executive roles and not seeing that general counsel as the end of the line. And, and as the, the role of the corporate lawyer is evolving, I think we can see, and, and you're leading the charge there, that, hey, you know, the, life is long again and careers are long and there are other things. Yeah, massive kudos for, for doing that and, again, taking that leap of faith and stepping outside of the comfort zone. I know that the environment within which you work would really support that anyway, but it's still, it's still pretty impressive for sure. Yeah, thank you. I try. So we're at the, we're at the top of our time, my friend. I did have a few more questions. How are you placed? Uh, I'm okay. Um, I got some time. Yep. I I want to kind of meld those two topics of of the legal and the operations and talk about legal operations and how you utilize tech within the legal team or or the wider business to manage the the legal matters at Vayner. Is, is that a thing that's, that's part of your, your stack or what tech do you use? Uh, uh, we probably should use more. We're so, I'm not old school at all, but I think we're so different and so entrepreneurial. And so, I mean, we have 22 companies now under the VaynerX umbrella that finding one tech solution to help all of us is, is it doesn't exist. Yeah, so I, I personally would, I find legal tech a little overrated personally, just for what we do. Listen, I, I think I think we could benefit more from a project management tech system, which I might use our befores in terms of, you know, fielding. We again, we have sixteen hundred employees. I think there's eight to ten lawyers. I forget exactly how many to to manage all of those inbound requests is a task. So that I, I would probably entertain getting that first, and I would like a CRM, right? Not CRM. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, excuse me, like CLM. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To to negotiate contracts and stuff. 
was it 22 different companies under the umbrella now? That's, yeah, something, that's a lot. Something crazy, yeah. How, how, do you, how do you even manage that many different things being thrown up and from a, a founder and a CEO that is probably not afraid to throw a new ball? Like NFT, Vayner NFT, here we go, here's a new thing. How do you manage so much change? Uh, it, it is the hardest thing that we have to deal with by far, without a doubt hands down. <laughs> like I can't, I can't stress that enough. You know, one of the hires that I made three or four years ago that I mentioned before, who's fabulous and a lifesaver. Uh, she came from uh, another top advertising agency, creative, predominantly creative. And it's viewed as like, you know, a top tier agency. And she got here and she's like, holy, how much stuff do you guys do? Right. Cause like she came from like, we did productions and TV shoots and creative content, but like, we don't do media and we don't do NFTs and we don't do small business and we don't do data analytics and we definitely don't do, you know, e-commerce consulting and all this other stuff. And so it is the hardest thing to do. How do I, the question is, how do we manage? Well, I think hiring is key. I think getting people that can juggle multiple balls in the air is, it, it needs to be a requirement number one for any new hire we have coming in. I think making sure that the team balances each other out in terms of skill set is important as well and then to clearly delineate i guess roles and responsibilities among the team in terms of what they are because otherwise it's overwhelming and what i mean by that is you know if you're working on a production if you're a production lawyer and you're working on you know production deals and stuff if a media deal comes in we know that's not yours but the media lawyer does and so they pick that up mm. um we kind of have divide and conquer divide and conquer we have a chart uh, there's a very complicated matrix that we like to call it that kind of divides what everybody's responsibilities are, who handles what, who does what, who are the teams. We divide the law the lawyers into teams of, you know, two, three, four, depending on what it is, working on the mm -hmm. projects and day-to-day and -day work. But listen, we are, I, I always use the analogy, we, we are definitely a very, very good diner and not a small Michelin-rated restaurant where there's only, you know, in Michelin-rated restaurant, there's like eight items on the menu. And I don't know how familiar you guys are with diners, but in diners, there's you can literally get an omelet and you can get lobster. So um, we handle all sorts of things. I love that analogy. That's yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's a constant need to balance the quality work, which which is non-negotiable, and the volume and how, how to process all of that. It's it's always such a fine balance. Yeah, and it's, a, and it's a risk assessment, right? What do we want to focus on? What do we understand or or things that I can train the business folks so that they can make the call on. Totally, right? yeah. And they love that, being self-sufficient, I think. Mm, sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. What keeps you awake at night? Well, it changes throughout time. You know, it's funny, right? Because when I first started, it was like, oh, you know, content and IP rights, right? And I was like, oh, it's not in French. But now that's like so not an issue now. Then it became like data management, right? What do we do with data when we receive it are we instituting it and, and storing it and transmitting it in the right way we figured that out i would say now to be listen i've been very honest on this podcast here i, I the the thing that's keeping me up right now like it kept me up two nights ago was i feel like we're at a, a spot right now in vayner's world where we're about to be ex growing rapidly we're at explosive growth right now and making sure that everybody's communicating to each other and making sure that it's it's really more of the operational arm of my business that's keeping me up at night in terms of that stuff. Uh, legally, 
Listen, uh, I, the NFT world, we're, Vayner NFT right now is very hot. Uh, the NFT space is the wild, wild west right now. It's, it's, it's a, it could be a lawyer's nightmare or, yeah. or it really can't be because it's quite simple. This, like, it, yeah. it, it's very confusing to me right now. Like what is going on? Right. And so where's it, where's it going to land? Yeah. So yeah. the president, it's, we're just so early. Yeah. So early. Well, the pre, well, from a legal and the president of Vayner NFT is one of my dearest colleagues at work. Right. And she's a complete bulldog and she's one of the smartest people I've ever met in my entire life. And my job is to get not hinder growth, to be a partner and work collaboratively so that we can grow. However, I'm trying to do that by mitigating risk in this NFT space with Fortune 100 clients that no, no, Fortune, no Fortune 100 client wants a wallet. You, you think a Fortune 100 client wants a MetaMask account so they can get Ethereum? <laughs> How are they going to report that? So figuring oh, man. figuring that yeah. whole thing out and figuring out what is the appropriate legal risk right now is kind of one of my top priorities. Or as I said before, it really can't be that. It could be quite simple and we just proceed business as usual and take due course. I don't do caution. I don't know. It could go either yeah. way. But um, right now. Oh, you, you are literally like at the precipice. Report back for the rest of us because oh. no one is doing what you're doing. I, I don't think. No. It, and, not at the scale. Yeah. And so, you know, trying, going back to what I said before, trying to explain how NFTs work for advertising purposes to a lot of these in-house counsel or procurement people trying to, try to negotiate a procure, contract procurement for NFT services. It is uh, painful. And um, I think uh, we're, we're trying. We're trying to mitigate risk. And um, it's been hard. So I would say right now that's kind of the thing keeping me up at night. Well, I hope that, you know, soon we, we look back on this time and you're like, oh, that's so quaint. That, that, oh, I'll remember when, when <laughs> remember when that was the biggest thing going on and, and, now, and now it feels really quite comfortable. I hope you can move through that pretty quickly, but the, it, it's just – evolving at a very yeah. rapid pace so absolutely all the best with all of that stuff you're kind of a pioneer i think speaking of the wild wild west like frontier and and let us know how it goes thank you. <laughs> looks wild my friend mark thank you so much for your time and and just generosity of just knowledge man we've <laughs> so much in there we could have spoken for hours but i will let you get on with your evening and want to thank you again for being so open to to me random cold caller from australia we didn't have any mutual connections bit weird but like you know you you gave me a chance and i really appreciate that no problem i appreciate you taking the time and uh, i enjoy talking with you so thank you thank you so much for listening to this episode of council please subscribe to the show so that you don't miss future episodes and while you're there it would mean the world to me if you could leave a review for this show tell me what you'd love to hear more of and where you're listening from to learn more about in-house practice Follow me on LinkedIn and Instagram.